Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Rootless Living Podcast in episode number 103. My name is Damien Ross, and besides being the host of this podcast, I'm a full-time RVer, aka digital nomad, that has lived and worked in all 48 states and easily traveled more than 75,000 miles since 2017. I'm currently working on a 240-acre homestead in Oklahoma, and in my free time, I publish two magazines, Rootless Living and RV Today. I'd love to have you as a subscriber to either magazine, so head over to rootlessliving.com or rvtoday.com. Grab your subscription. You can grab it both digital or in print. Hey, and look, when you grab the print, you get a free digital. You can gift that to someone if you want. And it really helps us to continue to publish these magazines. Now, in today's episode, I have a great conversation with Vanessa, and we get into what it's like being full-time rootless since 2015. That is over eight years. I know a lot of people have been doing it for a lot longer than that, but it's probably one of the longest full-timers we've had on the podcast, so it's going to be great to get into what it's like being on the road, raising a child for the last eight years. But like always, before I say too much, let's get into the episode. All right, with that, I want to welcome Vanessa to the show. How are you? Hi, I'm doing good. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. You actually sound like you're actually having a really good time. That's awesome. This will be fun, I bet. Let's, uh... Oh, absolutely. This is always a great time. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with some rapid fire. Uh, where are you in the world right now? We are in Florida in the Orlando area right now. Nice. What's the weather like? Just to make people jealous. You know what? It actually has been storming and it's kind of cooled down. And so it's like low 80s, which is amazing. Usually it's hotter than blazes this time of year. So I am loving it. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, 80s is good. Um, yes. What do you consider yourself? Full-time, part-time, sometime? No wrong answer. We are full-time. We've been full-time since 2015. So we're sort of kind of some original OG family for <laughs> full-time travel. Awesome. What do you guys travel in? We have a 2019 Solitude. It's like a mid-bunk uh, model. Nice. And who's currently traveling with you? So it's just my husband and I and our daughter who is 13 now. She was really little, only six when we started. So it's definitely been a transition to, to teen years now. <laughs> no doubt. Well, let's go back to the original transition. Let's go past 2015. Uh, okay. Where were you living? Where were you working? Um, I like to get into the details like, you know, what size house you had. And then we'll get into like, what was it like to downsize to get in the RV? But it, before 2015, right. when you went full time, where were you guys living? Where were you working? Okay, so we lived in the Midwest in outside of Kansas City, Missouri, and we were your typical large suburb type <laughs> suburban family, very, very typical. I stayed home with my daughter back then, so I was always on the route to homeschooling, um, even when she was small, and my husband worked, and we just kind of looked like your typical family. So to think of going from a 3,000-square-foot house into living in an RV was never, ever <laughs> on my mind by any stretch of the imagination. So it's a little bit wild that we decided to do this, actually. <laughs> How did you guys get there? Like what was, I mean, because, you know, 2015, I was 2016 when I decided, and there was really no influence happening no. in and around the lifestyle. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I knew people did this retired, don't get me wrong, but I yes. didn't know people did it living well. So what got you to think about this as a possibility way back in 2015? 
Yeah. So, and that's a good point. Their families were not really on the road back then. Young working people were hardly on the road back then. It was mainly retirees. So I had a homeschool friend that had uh, two small kids and she told me one day that she was selling her house to do this. And I thought, honestly, I thought my friend had lost her mind. She was a photographer and had the kids in all these programs and was like, you know, really loving life. And she's like, nope, my husband's quitting his job. We're selling our lovely house and we're just going to buy this fifth wheel and travel across the country. And I thought, what? (laughs) But then I started thinking about it. Obviously I'm like, how does that work? How can you make that happen? You know? And so I started peppering with her with questions. And then with about six months later, I started thinking about it for us and started researching. But back then there wasn't all the social media, uh, accounts to follow that were doing this. And and really I had like a Facebook group, only one that was called full-time families. And it was families that planned to do this. And there were, weren't very many even in the group, but I started asking questions and taking notes. And then before I knew it, <laughs> the for sale sign was in the yard. And my, my friends and family thought we had lost our minds too. I think it's funny that you know, I mean, I remember, and so just to give context, I graduated high school in 1989, and my parents at the time had offered me to backpack through Europe. Nice. <laughs> but I just couldn't, I just didn't want to do it solo, really, and I, none of my yeah. friends that I was growing up in South Central Los Angeles were interested in, like, you know, traveling through Europe. But so, obviously, people did these, like, little, like, like getaways and breaks, to your point. I do right. agree that there wasn't the onslaught of social media that hit like 2000, late 2016. I mean, don't get me wrong. In 2016, I thought I invented this idea. I've talked about this on the podcast (laughs) and I found out a million people, a million people were living and working on the road in 2016. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Right, but there just wasn't the, you know, the keep your daydream, the less junk, the people that are getting like the mainstream kind of like, algorithm where people are like oh this is possible um right and once right that's what's crazy too about media like once you see that other people could do it it's like the whole like once someone broke the four minute mile then the next year like 30 people broke it and the next year 500 people broke it it just takes one person to show that it can be done um yes let's get into the downsizing three thousand square foot i'm gonna assume even with a large solitude you're probably no more than 400 square feet what was that process like That was nuts. Honestly, we were kind of, we weren't like hoarder people, but we had a lot of junk in our house. And, uh, you know, I never thought that we could live that small and we didn't start in our solitude. We had a, um, a rear, uh, bunk model fifth wheel to start off with, which was like a Heartland Silverados where we started at. And then we traveled in that for about three years and then switched over to the solitude, but same size, still around 40 feet. And, um, so when we made the transition, I had packed everything up and was moving into the RV at a campground that was close to our house, which I highly recommend because then you can just kind of shuttle your stuff back and forth Mm. with the RV already hooked up at the campground and move in kind of slowly. But, oh my gosh, I had still 
way too much stuff. We were pitching stuff right and left even hours before we left. Uh, my husband's mom met us at the campground to tell us goodbye. And I still had all these boxes that I, I couldn't physically fit anywhere. And I had to just shove them in the back of her SUV and say, can you just hold on to this for us? Because I don't know what to do. <laughs> it is. It's a deal. It is. It's really <laughs> insane the amount of stuff like and I, and I know yes. that if you're a regular listener you've heard me talk about this like where I think the average American has 80% of the things they own they don't use yes and that's just and I honestly I don't know the stats but I bet you RV is somewhere around 20 30 percent like they're not completely clear from it you know this lifestyle oh no yeah yeah I, I bet you if they do a clean out every year they're finding you know whatever the RV gadget that they thought they really needed that then they realize you know I'm never going to use this or some sort of extension cord they've never used but that part of the lifestyle is, is so interesting. And that's why I like talking about it because. Yeah. And you know, when you have kids, it's a whole yep. different scape. If it's just a couple, you know, you feel like you can part with your things and no one's really going to miss out on this stuff. But for some reason, as a parent, you kind of feel like your kids need to have some normal childhood stuff. I guess that's an attachment that we just kind of naturally gravitate toward. And so it, with kids, I think you want to bring more than you need. And then you also want to buy an R a bigger RV possibly mm. than you need, which is kind of a whole nother ball of wax. Really. When you're moving from a large house into RV life, you kind of think you need to get the biggest setup that you can so you have room for all of that stuff. But sometimes that kind of can pigeonhole you, you know, into where you can stay, which was a mistake that, that we made twice, not once. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Two big fifth wheels in, and I wish we would have gone smaller so we could stay in the national parks. Yeah. So I, you know, the, the stuff can get you, no, <laughs> you know? I think that it's funny that I think, like, two years three years ago um i mean we we're still you know really full time and so 42 foot for two people is still really big but i yeah. do agree with you with the national park but i also feel like moving into 2023 um i don't think it cares what size rig you have i don't think you're getting into a national park unless you right. already have you know you should be looking at long stay boondocking to really do it because you're just gonna, yeah yeah it's it's getting crazy from the campground perspective i mean the industry's you know, sales are slowing, but camping is like going to hit even a better COVID peak this year, which is just mind blowing that that many people, you know, it is, it's out. a challenge for sure. You're right about that. Without a doubt. And I think that's where, I mean, like a lot of the full timers, I think it's, we started doing that, you know, in 2021 where we really started saying to ourselves, if this is a popular area during a popular time, we're just not going. Um, yeah. And not yeah. because I don't like crowds, but I also started thinking the reverse side of it is, you know, for some, this is their only weekend or week to get away. I do this right. 52 weeks a year. I can yeah. come back to this spot anytime and enjoy it. Maybe the weather will be a little different, but it'll be way less crowded. And I'm not taking yeah. someone's, their once a year vacation away from them, which is kind of an interesting yes. perspective to put others first. It is. I love that idea. And the off season is so much more peaceful. We do a lot of off season travel as well, especially in the national parks, just because you can find that solitude that you're really looking for, you know, that you can't get during the peak season. Right. Well, I actually, I mean, you probably know this and I think we might've talked about this. The, the Sunday through Friday at campgrounds is amazing. Yes. It's just everyone clears <laughs> out Sunday around 4 PM. It's a complete ghost town. And then 
you know, you don't really start people, people don't roll back in until Friday. I remember I went to a, a campground on like Lake Michigan on the, you know, on the Illinois side. And uh-huh. we arrived on a Saturday, unfortunately, and it was a zoo. Like it was, <laughs> yes, it was so crazy. And literally within 24 hours, it was a ghost town. Everyone was gone Sunday yes. and then Friday again, complete zoo again. It was so chaos. Yeah. And actually that's true. Like that's still a feeling that I never take for granted, even though we've done this for a long time. So on Sunday, when people start to pack up and go home, I have that sense of relief instead of dread. That is just, wow, I don't have to go now. Like I can stay. It just feels that's one feeling that is amazing that I still, you know, still appreciate. I I still to this day, because I've taken some trips outside of my RV recently and I'm reminded how much I don't need a vacation from my vacation when I get back when I'm RVing. Like RVing is just, you know, I'm just moving to the next location. But when I fly somewhere and stay somewhere and I come back and you have to unpack and do all your long, like you have to like compress all this stuff. Then you really are in a situation where it's like, oh, now I need another vacation. And I really like my heart goes out to people that like that's their vacation is jumping in a plane and flying somewhere, staying in a hotel and then going back and you're just exhausted because you, you know, you yes. to, yeah, it's, it's, this is true. This I think is these, very ex, true. these extended vacays are way better. What is your travel schedule like? Or, you know, I mean, obviously it's probably varied, but what, let's talk more about your sweet spot. What's your sweet spot kind of travel schedule? Yeah. So right now we're on a really slow travel schedule. We're staying within the state of Florida and just bouncing around, like doing the beach, then heading back to central Florida, doing uh, the theme parks. Then sometimes we'll shoot down to the keys and kind of enjoy some of that. And then we'll kind of go up to the woods for a little while and do some of Florida's natural springs and some paddling and things. So since we're kind of in a one state zone, we're staying a lot longer in each location. Um, and two weeks seems to be kind of our sweet spot. And that's also the max that you can stay at it at most of the state parks. And that's the case with Florida too. So we'll do a lot of two week uh, maximum state park stays and, and then float on to the next place. And that works really, really well for us. We've been across the country a few different times now and, and love that that's a heavy pace of travel though. (laughs) And we're kind of in a more slow, uh, slow space now. Our daughter's a teenager. And so that's changed our travels a lot (laughs) because when you travel with kids and they're young, they're very gung ho. They want to go to every national park and be a junior ranger and hike and see all the things. And then once they turn into a teen, sometimes not always, but they kind of start to lose their luster with travel and she's on year eight, you know, of living in an RV. So she's kind of starting to be over it Mm. and her friends are in central Florida. So we, uh, kind of hang here a lot as a base so that she can have some normal teenage type, you know, experiences. And so life's a little different now than when we first started. (laughs) No, for sure. And that's a long run. Like I talk to people where I say, you know, the minimum, I I guess really, if I was going to say, if someone's going to try to go full time, is like two years. Mm-hmm. Like I really like just figure out where you can make it work for two years because then you yes. are on a slower schedule. Cause even if you know, two years you're talking 104 weeks. And if you did two weeks, you know, in stays, which I agree is like a really good, like you, you get comfortable. You're not spending a ton of money on gas and travel Yeah, and you get the yeah. itch. Like by, by the day 13, 14, you're like, we got to go, let's go. Yes. And it is a really <laughs> good sweet spot. Let's try to, 
I, I do this thing that sometimes difficult for people to comprehend. Sometimes people are just like, oh, I totally get it. Um, without yeah. getting into the details of your budget, if your bricks and sticks life in 2015 was $100 a month, what is RVing? Is it less than that? Is it more than that? And again, there's no wrong answer. Right. I love this question because a lot of times people will say that RV living is so much cheaper than living in a house. And I think for some people it is like if you primarily boondock, uh, it definitely can be, you know, and if you stay in, in a limited area or, or just one region, and you're not going far. Uh, it definitely can be cheaper than living in a house. But for us, I would say over the average of a whole, it's almost about the same because we, um, um, we are not boondockers, so we do pay for campgrounds and we love state parks. So we pay state park prices, which are still cheaper than, um, than probably our mortgage was. But when you figure in the gas and the activities, it kind of is a wash. I would say it's about the same most months than when we lived in our house. So, and again, a good point too, is not just even the how you control the current it's where you're coming from i came from los angeles so rving is a lot yes. cheaper i mean you, you know I yourself guess. coming from the midwest <laughs> it can be right. comparable but if you're leaving manhattan and you're going to jump in an rv you're probably going to save a ton of money for sure lifestyle. for sure it's but, that's definitely a factor in there but what most people don't realize is you know rvs when what RV living costs on paper is not the same as what RV living costs in reality. Mm. And the reason why that is, is because RVs require, this is just the raw truth, a lot of maintenance and repairs. Yep. And a lot of people don't know that until they kind of dive in and hop into that. Like, for example, we've had um, over $600 in repairs last month in April because mm. uh, I track our budget. So it just, it, it really Depends. And if you're stationary, you're not going to have as many repairs, um, obviously, as if your RV is bouncing down the road and going many miles, too. But it's it's a little bit more expensive in reality than on paper. And that's why I just like to share that with people. Yeah, no. And I think that I think a lot of people don't understand that these rigs aren't made really for full time living and right. to experience a whatever it is, a 7.5 earthquake every other day driving down the road. Yeah. Like, yeah. But yeah. It, but I will say as someone that has replaced a roof for probably about $25,000. Oh. And, and I literally got the same photo of my house before and after. I mean, I literally was like, well, let's just go with that gray roof again. So I got nothing new. Yeah. It was not like a new TV or a new pool in the backyard. And then yeah. I've experienced here on this property, I don't know if you've ever purchased almost $50,000 worth of dirt. Oh gosh. But as no. the <laughs> worst check you will ever have to write. So like when people are like, oh my gosh, you know, especially like my friends, if they're saying like, oh, I didn't expect that I'd have to replace the axles every year or the leaf springs. I'm like, bro, I bought $50,000 worth of dirt. Stop it. Like you, <laughs> you're like, it's dirt. <laughs> it's, yeah. I bought dirt. Like it's stop complaining. Life is good. <laughs> like that, that kind of, it's all perspective. That is too funny. Oh my gosh. Yes. That, that's definitely a deal. <laughs> so I highly recommend when you're buying land, look for land that's got a lot of flat level because you don't want to have to buy the dirt. And, but I digress. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's great. So a long time on the road, obviously this, I can make the assumption that you guys didn't save up money in 2015 and said, Hey, let's live off our savings. So I'm assuming that there's actually some work going on while you're traveling. Why don't you guys tell me what you're doing for a living on the road? Yeah, absolutely. So when we left, we were, um, network marketers and, um, 
now today, network marketing is much easier to do solely um, online or in different locations. But back then, um, when we left as network marketers, it kind of fell apart because a lot of my business was actually in person um, meeting with people. And that did not actually transition well to being on the road the way that I thought it would. Now, today, I think I could have made that happen better. But back then, I didn't really have that knowledge or those resources. So as that fell apart when we were on the road, we had to kind of switch gears and transition into something new. And so we turned to um, our lifestyle as our income and became um, travel writers, bloggers, and content creators for uh, brands and social media work. And so that is where we are today. That's awesome. I, you know, it, it's funny though, for me, even with the magazines, the analog type stuff, the like going to Elkhart and, you know, doing lunches and meeting face to face, I can get done more in two weeks than I can in six months of any kind of emailing, tweeting out to people, you know, DMs yes. and LinkedIn. It's so bizarre to me that we are, we are as a society so crazy still about social and digital but I think if yeah. people really stepped back and, you know, thought, you know, if I could do this business where I could include a lot more analog, would I do better? And trust me, I battle because, you know, I mean, the the RV manufacturers are people that can really, you know, it makes sense from the advertising my publications. They are very like, you know, shiny object syndrome. They're probably a decade behind. Like they're probably right now saying we should be on MySpace. But <laughs> I think what's funny to me is their whole business is analog. I mean, mm -hmm. they make an analog product that you right. have to use. They go to shows, they do rallies, they are, you know, going out to dealers and selling and showing samples, but yet they move all their marketing into digital. And it's like, yeah, your customers are analog. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm not saying, and I think on both, you should be in, in both spaces, but it's always so funny to me that people go, you know, either full blown all analog, which I don't think you should do, or they go full blown all yeah. digital. Or, you know, it's tricky. Yeah, it yeah. really is. You yeah, have it's tricky. And I think I think we're not the only people that have had to transition once you get on the road. I think a lot of people have, you know, certain expectations with the whole lifestyle, actually, not even just with uh, income. Mm -hmm. And then you get on the road and you realize things are a little bit different than you thought and you, you have to to shift, but that can be a great opportunity. In our case, it was a really great opportunity to go in a, a different direction that actually ends up working better, you know, than right. you imagine. Yeah. I always, I always make the joke that I feel like customer service would be a great RV job. I mean, instead of that 90 minute commute to go sit in a cubicle, imagine if you just, you know, logged into your computer and now you're taking these help desk calls, how much better of a customer service person would be knowing that they're like, well, I only have to do this for eight hours. And then as soon as it's done, I get to walk outside and I'm there by the lake. I had no commute. Yes, I'm not sitting, yes. you know, next to whoever <laughs> that just brought their trout lunch, you know, and just nuked it in the <laughs> microwave. And now we all have to smell it. Like it's like, those are the things where I'm like, man, people should really embrace it instead of like, you know, wanting people to be back in the office. There's like, I agree. that's a great digital <laughs> space. Yeah. It's weird. Um, yeah. What are you guys using for internet? Obviously, you guys have to, and it's probably changed a lot over the years, but what's been like, because I feel like that's a question <laughs> people ask all the time as soon as they're like, yes. I got to work on the, the road is what's been working for you? So we are nuts because we literally went the first seven years. We just made this change a few months ago, actually, 
seven years with only our cell phones as T-Mobile hotspots, wow. which <laughs> makes no sense. And I do not recommend, but our budget was tight and that's what we always did. And it, it worked most of the time. And then other times we had to go to public places to make it work or, or drive a little bit. Actually, when we were in Yosemite, we had nothing. We had no signal, no phone, no internet for many weeks. And we'd have to drive, um, into town to make it work. So that was old school. And then this year, the our business has grown a lot and we really needed to kind of upgrade. And Orlando, shockingly, is a terrible city for internet. <laughs> I don't know what the problem is. It's a huge city, but cell phone carriers, they just don't work great in the campgrounds around Orlando. So we finally bit the bullet and got Starlink and switched to T-Mobile as a hotspot backup. And we're loving Starlink when we're not in state parks. <laughs> I gotta, gotta be raw and real there that Starlink needs a clear sky to work. And if you love to be deep in the woods and you don't have a northern clear shot of the sky, your Starlink is pretty much toast. So we have the T-Mobile hotspots as a backup. And between the two, we've done great this year. So that, yeah, that's fun. a good solution. I remember being in a state park in Texas. It had a lot of trees and there was a person out there mm -hmm. with their phone. This is, you know, 2018, 19. So way before Starlink. But what I realized what yeah. they were trying to do was get their satellite dish so they could watch TV. And so they were trying to figure <laughs> out like what the best spot is. And I remember thinking to myself, like I would never pick a spot based on if I can get television. Right. Like I would be like this. I mean, there were literally spots like where you were backed up to the water and they were passing on those because <sighs> they couldn't get a clear dish. And then I would just, I would walk by and I don't, it doesn't matter what the news source was, but that's all I saw them watching. And I remember thinking, <laughs> you really like, it's not even you're watching like a great show. You're watching, you know, something you could just, you know, read a couple of tweets and get that news. It was so bizarre. But now that I have Starlink and I'm, I understand what you're saying, I catch myself and it's not to watch TV. It's to be able to work. But now, yes. I'm, now I'm out there with my phone like, oh, yeah, yeah, or just looking at the sky like, OK, we can get a clear shot here. Let's let's take this campsite. <laughs> And uh, yeah, it kind of yes. sucks, but yes. And when you're on the road and, and you're, you know, vacationing is one thing and I would love to unplug, but yeah, you're right. When you need it for, for work or for school, you know, when you have kids and they do school online, that's a whole nother thing too. You've got to have, you've got to have it. It's just the way it is, unfortunately. Yeah. There's a, there's a, I remember two that I can remember. There's two lake sites that I really loved and both had terrible internet. And at the time I was working for someone else. So it was like really important. Like I couldn't just check yeah. out for three days. But I remember thinking I would almost like as a parent, like, you know, there's a lot of people that do really good, like tracking of where you can get good internet signal and where you can get bad. As a parent uh -huh. that was doing this for like a weekend trip, I would look for the bad internet campgrounds. <laughs> Yes. And, and like Make get there unplugged. with your, yeah, get there with your kids and be like, oh, what? There's no AT&T? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I feel so bad. Okay. I guess we're going to have to hang out. <laughs> oh, that's so, that's so funny. I'm right? a stingy electronic parent anyway. So my daughter did not get a phone or any access to the internet until she turned 13. So we are those stingy unplug your kid. <laughs> Yeah, I was probably, so I hear you. I was the last generation that was probably 16. I think my oldest, who's 31, I don't think she got access to stuff until she was, well, she might have been actually even older. I think Hope might have been 16. It's funny how every year 
it goes down in age. And then now where I'm seeing yes. like, you know, five and six year olds with iPhones, which I, I'm never going to critique someone else's parenting. You do you boo. But oh yeah, there is something about, and again, especially my age bracket being in my fifties now that I spent the majority of my life without any kind of like digital component. So, right. and, and I'm an only child, so I can really entertain myself. Like I don't need anyone's help. <laughs> I meet other only I'm with you. yeah. I meet other only children that all they've ever known is a digital life. They absolutely cannot entertain themselves, and I'm like, this is crazy. Like, we need a good balance, you know? Yes. Yeah, it's kind yes. Of fun. But you have to admit, I, I'm with you. In this lifestyle, you do see kids doing stuff that I don't yes. think you normally see in like the average bricks and sticks neighborhood. I mean, kids are right. out playing at a level that is. I mean, it's not 70s level, but maybe it's 1990s level of playing outside yes. still. And that's been amazing blessing to see kids out there with a stick and a rock and figuring it out. Yes. I love that. I mean, getting out in nature and getting kids to appreciate that at an early age as possible, you know, is, is life changing. You know, we lived in the city. So before we started traveling, there was no hiking. There was no, I mean, we had never been to a national park before since we lived in the Midwest. You're short on national parks, like all these experiences that I'm glad our daughter's been able to have now, or even us that we never got to have before. Thanks to being nuts and going for it. You know, it's worth it. You know, it's, it's, this is just an odd subject because I know you're talking about Kansas being Midwest. I think as being someone that's from California, that's like legitimately from the West coast, it always made me laugh. Cause now that I'm, you know, buying property in Oklahoma, people are like, where are you, you know, where are you at? And I'm like, oh, we're South central Los Angeles. I mean, South central America. Now I used to be South central Los Angeles and now I'm South. I mean, a lot of people consider Oklahoma the South, and I'm like, they didn't become a state till like 1910 or something. Yeah, I don't think of it as the South. Yeah, but I also don't consider it the Midwest either. Where like, like it's always been something where I'm like, I, I get mid, like I get mid. Mm -hmm. I don't get west because Mm -hmm. like Kansas is like dead in the middle of the United States. In the middle, right? And I'm like, how did how did how did like maybe the the second S in Kansas is in the east and the k is kind of hitting the west but it's always been something where i just never picked up on school or thought about until i started traveling where people like oh yeah we're from the you know midwest and i'm like oh where are you from and they're like oh missouri and i'm like wait what isn't that how's that west i know it's a funny concept yeah it's it's central time zone how's it it's not even mountain time like mountain is like kind of on the west but if you're not pacific it's like what it's so funny to me where i'm like this is so weird like i love it i'm gonna have to look that up who named it that and and what the reasoning was because i've never actually thought about it before it's too funny i think i actually know i mean i think still to this day i believe that almost 70 percent of the u.s population is on the eastern side of the united states yeah that's right yeah so the other 30 percent is literally from you know if you did a straight line that probably did San Antonio all the way up to North Dakota and across, mm-hmm. I think there's 30% that live in there with like 22% of that along the Pacific. Like, Yeah. Well, and the uh, St. Louis arch was the gateway to the West. And so mm. anything West of St. Louis was back then, you know, settler times was considered the West. And so I, I'm guessing a lot of it has to do with, with just being West of the Mississippi river. I, I agree. And that's all like anything over on that side. Yeah. You're considered the West, just like how the South is 
Because the South gets funny to me too when it gets all the way up into like Virginia. And I'm like, are you really still Southern in Virginia? No. I mean, you know, you're, just, <laughs> no. you're damn near Washington, D.C., New York. Like, how is that? Right? It's so funny. What's that about? Yeah. It's like I, we have no understanding of direction when we talk. I mean, I just think no. trying to explain it to like foreigners. I think they've got to be like, wait, what? I don't get that. Why is why is Oklahoma the South and Kansas Midwest? Like, how did that happen? I don't know. Just go with it. Too funny. Well, traveling makes you look at these things differently. You know, it, it's, I felt like an idiot when we started traveling, really. Like, my public school education did not serve me well because, you know, we're, we're in different states. And I'm like, I didn't know there were mountains in these states. And I'm like, I didn't yeah. know there was volcanic activity in this state. And I just felt like a complete idiot i have two college degrees but i didn't know pennsylvania was mountainous and i didn't know that oregon had volcanic activity until i went there yeah no. and, you, <laughs> you know, know? what even worse for me is i went to utah at high school to play ball and i didn't realize how just amazing and beautiful it was yes like, it's so beautiful there yeah like i just for whatever reason i, mean, I just went to like the, the provo salt lake city area i didn't really get out and you know, and, and that's what's so funny. I mean, I, honestly, I did more European travel before I did any, you know, travel in the United States. I did all these European trips in my 20s and 30s. And that's I'd, awesome. I'd probably only been to four states. And I got to be honest, I've actually really enjoyed my lower 48 travels than I did any with the European travels. Really? Oh, my gosh. That's wild. I also think it's maybe because of the age bracket, too. Like... I was 20 something drinking. So, you know, you go to Ireland and it's like, let's go. And then I don't, yes. it's just a blackout for the next three days. And I'm like, I don't really remember that. Um, oh, that's awesome. So I'm always yeah. encouraging, like when my kids are like, we want to do this trip. I'm like, why don't you go to Utah first? And then after that, why don't you go to North Carolina and like hang out yes. for a little while and then go up into Maine. Like Maine is beautiful, you know? Oh yes. It so is. It's our favorite. It's it, so great up there. It really is. Oh. And that, so yeah. Were you, that was the only trip I was actually worried about the size of my rig. Um, and I think most really? of it, yeah, I was really, I think these groups got me paranoid. Like, well, every bridge is like nine feet tall. You're going to die. And I really bought into that before we got there. And I did have to do oh. in New York, upstate New York, I did have to back up on a highway once because there were no like signs before a churn that said it was 13, mm. four, um, that was a yeah and my map was taking me that way the map that you're able to put your height in and it still missed that one um yeah other than that it's, yeah it's just it's beautiful and great yeah and also, it's um, it's worth it yeah you do need to be on top of your clearances on the east coast like there is a um a bunch of tunnels um around virginia virginia beach area and those tunnels are 13.6 we're 13.6 right right and <laughs> we haven't been there in this rig we went in our old rig which scared the tar out of me because that one had a couple inches of clearance but i don't know i could make myself do it in this one but you do need to be on top of that you know on the east coast I, we're 13.6 and i think my closest was like 13.8 and i remember thinking like have they like come out and remeasured it since they re-asphalt like is it like yes. legit <laughs> 13 you know you're just you're just holding and listen you turn the radio down you roll down the windows and you just listen for the ac and you hope you don't hear anything and no we've oh got my gosh but it's like what are you gonna do at that point you're in the you're in the thick of it it's like oh that's a freak out moment yeah there's yeah there's no going back there's literally no going back no so it sounds like work's uh, yeah. been it sounds like work's been good on the road at, and yeah which is i think 
I think that we're, I, go back to the child real quick. I mean, I know six is kind of young. Were you guys homeschooling before hitting the road? Yeah, okay. we were. That was already our plan. So gotcha. my daughter had just started kindergarten when we left. And so we hadn't gotten into the thick of it. But uh, we did like preschool, homeschool and, and some of that stuff before we left. And so we kind of were already in that mode. But it's totally different on the road because when you're at home, you've got groups of other, you know, co-ops and other activities with homeschoolers. And so when you take off, it's kind of a whole new jam because you got to find your tribe of people for your child to, to meet and, and meet up with. And you've also got to figure out how to balance school with your travels in the same way that you have to figure out how to balance your work, you know, schedule with your travels so you can fit it all in. And that's a juggling act and a half. <laughs> right, right. But are you, I mean, I don't know if you hit, you had to sell to like family and friends, the idea of going full time. Were, right. Did you have that battle when you decided to homeschool? Was that because like, in, in, like when I was growing up and raising my kids, uh, literally at the same time I was growing up and raising my kids, I yeah, yeah. like homeschool was so taboo in the sense that yes. like you really only homeschooled if you had a child with like, you know, real learning disabilities, they just weren't going to get the attention or, you know, someone that acted right. out a lot, that kind of a thing. So I remember like right. if someone introduced me to their kid is like, oh yeah, no, we homeschool them. I was like, all right, what's wrong? Where I don't have yeah. that attitude at all in 2022, 2023. I mean, I've met some amazing road school kids and, but yeah. I just didn't know, was it a battle at all when you decided to do that with family and friends or did they understand oh, that? Oh yeah, okay. it was a total battle uh, for both, for homeschooling decisions and for our decision to go on the road. Mm -hmm. So both of our families were not keen on either of those choices because they wanted, you know, our daughter to have what they can you know, considered a normal childhood and a normal life. But, um, I made that homeschool decision way before we ever considered traveling because, she was, our daughter was extremely bright, um, was reading chapter books on her own by about three and a half. And, and I thought if she goes into a kindergarten class and they're, you know, learning ABCs and starting to learn how to read it, she can read chapter books. We're sort of in trouble. And as a kid, I was very bored in school um, for that similar reason. I just wanted to do more things than felt like I was kind of held back. And so I always had in my mind that I really wanted her to kind of have one-on-one -on -one instruction to her level. And so that's kind of where we, we were with that. And that was a big pushback, but then saying we're going to hit the road. Now we're real weirdos, right? Cause right, right. now we're homeschooling and we're going to live in campgrounds and all these places. And yeah, that did not go over well with our, our family. <laughs> yeah. And that's funny. Cause I sold it and this was, I wasn't like making anything up. I thought I was just going to be on the road for a year, leave California, um, yeah. get rid of everything, move to Texas and then find land and like kind of do what I'm doing now, six years later, um, nice. be on the property and be able to develop the property while living in my RV and still being able to travel and at some home, you know, like that kind of a thing, but just yeah. fell in love with the lifestyle. But I think because most people understood I was going to do it for a year, um, like my employer, even though I was remote salary commission employee, uh -huh. They still had, I, you know, like a problem with me traveling full time. Like even to the point where I had a boss refer to what I do as being on vacation all the time. Yes. And yes. I, that's a common thing. And that always makes my blood kind of boil just a little bit. Yeah, I always, <laughs> not gonna lie. I rebuttal with, so people that live in Hawaii are on vacation all the time. 
No, no, right. you're still working. You're yeah. still doing laundry. You're still paying bills. You're yeah. still cleaning house, go to the grocery store, all those things. Yes. It's so weird to me that that's just because this is what people do for their vacation. Doesn't mean yes. that when I do it, I'm on vacation. It was such a weird argument. I'm so glad I don't work for anyone anymore. Uh, yeah, I, have to I can it. understand. It, there's a big misunderstanding in general, and that's why it's a hurdle with family members a lot of times. There's a big misunderstanding culturally and it's better now that there's more people doing this but especially the back in those days like um it's the old mentality of living in a van by the river which now is a goal right, right. <laughs> for so many people right but back then it was it was a, a symbol of homelessness and and not having what you need and now it's so many people's goal so i think there's still a stigma and a misunderstanding of the lifestyle as a whole and it's getting better, but it was a hurdle back then. <laughs> I think it's actually a good learning lesson that if society is saying, don't do it, it's probably something you might want to look at. Yes. As, as doing. <laughs> Why are they saying not? Right. right. Why are they trying to keep us in the box? Why are they trying to keep us? Because it's weird that it took, you know, not only my own 18 years of school, I actually don't think it's that long. Is it? It's 13 years or something, but, and then my kids years of school. Um, yeah afterwards i was like man this is really designed to make factory workers or to make corporate workers you know it's not made yeah. to really learn it's to get you where you know hey the bell rings and then you go to this place and you eat and the bell rings again you go back to work and then you got to take some of the work home with you and then you come back and you've got a manager yeah. and you do reports and they let you know how you're doing um but i think it was really brave of you to see um what was going on with your own girl and be like, okay, we need to figure something out that really caters to her because it, it's weird that we as parents do that when it comes to sports. If our True. kids are excelling, we'll be like, you know what? Hey, instead of him playing in the 13U, let's put him in the 16U because he's you know, right or she is. And then, you know, well, you know, maybe we need to get her on an AAU team. Maybe we need to get her a, you know, a trainer, but we just don't do right. that from the education side when we see our kids. For most, don't. We don't say, hey, we need to take a different route than them just playing. Right. PE. It's so weird. Well, to and I can understand that to a point, too, because even parents that really recognize that in their kids and think, you know, man, my kid's got this leadership skill or is really gifted in this academic area or whatever. Some parents will realize that, recognize it, and just plain not have the resources to stay home and homeschool because that's a whole Oh, that's a whole nother ball of wax, you know, of, of doing that. So I can kind of see that. But yeah, I mean, if you can, it's amazing gift to your child because then you can pour. It's like let's private lessons for a sport, you know, right. getting the best private teacher because you can just pour into their specific interests and talents, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel I had the best of both words. I feel like I was raised by uh, public schools and I was raised by being solo homeschooled. I was the latchkey kid where my parents did get home to like 7 PM. So I had like yeah. from three to seven to like, which is, you know, looking back now was terrible. Like there should have yeah. been at least one other adult, you know, and I was an only child too. So it was just opportunity and time and for a kid yeah. that just equals trouble. Yeah. But no, yeah, I do I was like the same. I was an only child as well. And I was the same latchkey situation. So I totally relate to that. Yeah. And I think, you know, when people talk about, um, I don't know, what's the way of saying it where it's not political, um, where we can make this the best we can. I think, yeah. it, I think it goes back to where there is a parent at home and I'm not saying which parent, I don't think that even matters. I mean, my mom, I talk about this sometime, both my parents were television producers, but then my mom hit the lottery, um, with her job with the tonight show. 
And then after like oh, 20 wonderful. years, you know, it's like, I think my dad just said, why am I still like chasing this when yeah. you've hit the the lottery? Let's figure something else out. And I think we as parents don't do that. I mean, the kid's mom worked. I worked. Just the kids yeah. were, you know, left with other people a lot of times and stuff. And I always go back and I just was like, I wish I could have figured out where I could have made enough money so we could have had a stay-at-home parent or at least a stay-at-home parent after school. Right. It's hard. It, it really is. That's why I say some, some people even want to do it and it's just not, you know, it's not feasible financially right. or they don't have the resources at the time to make it happen. And it's getting easier the more that jobs are becoming remote, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a hurdle for sure. No doubt. You kind of touched on it a little that you were talking about, you didn't go to state parks or national parks or do a lot of hiking and I like talking about, you know, like the hobbies today and, you know, again, were those hobbies in the previous Bricks and Sticks life? So what are the hobbies you guys really enjoy doing now? And then just let me know if it's something you guys ever did before this lifestyle. Yeah, so that's that's a funny topic because being in the city, you know, our our view of nature and getting out of nature was completely different than, than how I view it now. So it's just a funny story when we were selling our house and getting ready to purchase the RV and going through all that, we visited REI for the first time and bought hiking shoes. And I remember consulting with the guy at REI about, you know, I want to go to a national park and I want to hike and I need the best shoes to figure this out. And him talking to me about wool socks for the first time and getting legit hiking shoes, which I'd never had before. So <laughs> here we are in our mid thirties and never been to a national park and never really, really been hiking before. So once we launched and I remember the day I got those hiking shoes out of the box for the first time, we had actually been on the road for mm, a little while before I did that, but it was up in Maine. And I remember breaking out the hiking shoes and going hiking for the first time in Acadia National Park. And we'll never forget that feeling because all three of us had our shiny new hiking shoes on and we realized that we absolutely loved it. And our daughter, who was not athletic in the slightest bit, for anything <laughs> kind of clumsy uncoordinated was like a rock climbing ninja that mm. kid scrambling over boulders and just completely having the time of her life and that, it was in that moment with our new little hiking shoes on that I'm like this is our thing and we would have never found it ever had we just played it safe and ignored this dream and just stayed in the midwest but see, that's what kind of what I was talking about with the Europe thing is that people are so excited mm -hmm. to go like really far and there's so much to see in your own neighborhood when I, or just, you know, within your state, but like even me growing oh, up in yeah. Los Angeles, like the thing that deterred me from hikes was, you know, people would be like, Hey, you want to go on this hike in the Canyon? It's like a three mile hike. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. I didn't realize I had to hike two miles to get to the start because parking was so bad. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I, like this is like an yes. eight mile, my first real hike that I will consider my first hike was 2017 and we did angels landing in Zion. Oh and, my gosh. You started with that. Well, I, yeah. And so like, here I am again wow. with my new hiking shoes and my new oh, camel bag that's leaking. And I just remember being like, and just, I was way overweight, so out of shape, you know, yeah. I mean, there's like, you know, and there's like kids passing me on the hike. There's like elderly with walkers passing me. And I just remember being like, and I haven't had a hike that rough since. I don't really think so. I mean, maybe some stuff in Maine we did was pretty gnarly, but 
I just remember that thinking. That hike special, though. I cannot right. believe you started there. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was kind of like, you know, you're just baptism by fire. At that point, I was yeah, like. Yeah, did you think you were going to die? <laughs> I, I just was like, I just remember thinking that if I got injured, it would be virtually impossible to get me off this mountain. And I'm not saying not to do it, folks. What I'm saying is <laughs> it's probably just not your first hike. And there are a lot of smaller hikes in Zion, too. And I even think, like, just doing yes. the narrows is kind of nice because at least you're in cool yes. water and you're chilled. But, yeah, that was a gnarly. <laughs> those switchbacks on the way back, I was I was really like, could they get in a golf cart up here to get me? Like, is that possible? I was oh, having my God. How much are those? Are those, those helicopters are expensive, aren't they? If they come get me, that kind of a thing. That's a day to remember. Yeah. Yeah. And I haven't, I haven't done it since. I wouldn't mind doing it again. I've done the Narrows a couple of times in Zion and some of the other smaller hikes. But again, it's yeah. one of those things too that I tell everyone that when it comes to hiking, um, especially if it's not a loop, if it's a, you know, an out and back, I would yeah. say commit to three miles because around mile and a half, most people drop off. Yeah. And then you're really and just then it out gets there. Good. It does. Yeah. You're just out there. There's a couple people which makes you feel okay. If something, you know, if I did happen to sprain an ankle, I'd probably get some help to get back. But it's not like we're, excuse me, hello, excuse me, hello. Like I felt like sometimes yes. I'm on these hikes, I was like a Starbucks. There's so many people. Oh my gosh, yes. That's a, that's another reason to go in the off season when you can because it's so much more peaceful. But you're right. Once you get off the beaten path mm -hmm. and the farther you get up in there, you start to have more solitude and it's amazing. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. So hiking's it's, a big it's, thing. Hiking's amazing. <laughs> Is there, are there other things you guys do outside of uh, hiking that you, wasn't part of the Bricks and Sticks life? Uh, paddling's another nice. one. Um, we stayed in the Keys for a really long time, um, the whole winter and actually kind of thought we were going to maybe stay there, stay there. Mm. Um, but we bought paddle boards for the first time and we had, uh, inflatable kayak that the three of us squeezed into for the first few years on the road. But something about the paddle board was really a unique feeling because we could each get on our own and the freedom that you have it's so lightweight and easy to paddle but the water is so clear and you can see so well when you're standing up you know because you get some uh so much more height standing up on the paddleboard right. it's just oh paddling is amazing too and that's another thing that i don't think we would have ever i mean there's l plenty of lakes um in, in Missouri and stuff, but it's not very clear water like that. And I don't know. I just don't think we would have ever gotten into that had we not done this as well. I do see a huge uptick in, you know, outdoor activity with this lifestyle. I mean, yes, we're, we're you know, parents and kids are doing it together. Right? I mean, it's yeah. something where I'm like, Ooh, like I almost need not necessarily book about it, but a real like data about it. Like how many people have really, because yeah. you know, earlier you're talking about that you, you consider your budget probably a wash, but yeah. if, if I asked you to, you know, if your old lifestyle was experiences compared to the, you know, the RV lifestyle, how do you compare experiences for the budget? And most people would be like, oh, it's off the charts. We didn't do anything really as a family together, right. any kind of exploring right. adventure. And now with yeah. this lifestyle, it's pretty much all we do when we're not working. We're trying to figure something out. Um, That's right. Because when you live in a traditional house, I mean, you're working all the time to pay for the house. You have tons of, you know, yard maintenance and upkeep and cleaning and different things that you need to do, which you have some of that when you're traveling too, but nothing to the extent of that. So you're limited on time and money 
living in the house. Whereas now you spend that kind of money, but you're right. You're spending it a lot on your experiences. So it's a completely different mind shift really. It's like, are we working for this house or are we working to live? And that that's life changing really when you start to wrap your mind around it. Are we working for this stuff? Or are we working for the experiences? Without a doubt. Yeah, there's some really yeah. good stories out there that talk about people that have left like really high paying career jobs that they realized at the end of the day they were making like $15, $20 an hour because they had to add in all the expenses and the lifestyles that they had to represent in order to have that kind of career. Right. You know, like, yeah. oh, if you're going to be a realtor, you have to have the newest Mercedes to drive people around and that kind of thing. And that's always been really interesting to me. The yard work thing is kind of funny because... Um, I have never had a yard in all my bricks and sticks (laughs) in the sense that where I had a gardener or I didn't have a yard. So whether I was living in an apartment building, a (laughs) condo, but in my houses, I was always like, I'm not trying to, you know, go out and buy all this equipment. I just, I probably save money just by paying. So now that I have the ranch, like I actually really look forward to because I haven't been jaded by, you know, 30 years of having to cut my lawn <laughs> every Saturday. Where now it's like it's it's just it's nice to get out of the RV and not be in front of the computer or on the mic and just be on a lawnmower and just mowing whatever I want to mow. Like it's it, it's that funny. is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. And living in a house in the Midwest. So Saturday had to be long work day yeah. because between leaves in the fall or just keeping up with the grass, it was like almost a whole day lost. We only have two days off a week to give one almost a whole day up to the yard sucks. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm not I mean, gonna lie. Yeah. No, I, I think about it all the time where, you know, I mean, cause even when we mentioned it right now that if, if we became a society that said, okay, we're going to try to create jobs for one of the parents, they work nine to three. And so they're mm-hmm. literally dropping the kid off at school. If let's say they want to, you know, drop them at public school, they go to their job and then their job mm-hmm. ends and they go right to the school to pick them up and take them home. And so they still have a, a decent amount of hours they're working every day. But then I'm always mm-hmm. like, why are we still working Fridays? Like, why haven't we gotten to the point where, because to your point, yes, sat, for a lot of people, Saturday is yard day and Sunday is some sort of faith-based day. And, yes, family day. Yeah, mm-hmm. and your whole weekend gets sucked up. And then if you happen to have to throw groceries in there or laundry in there or one or two kids events, like you oh, really yeah, don't have any time off. Stuff, yeah. yeah, it's over. And it's like, I don't get how we we made this like rat race the American dream. I'm like, how did we all get bamboozled by this? This is right. Because once right. you step away from it, I mean, I, I can't speak for you. I'll speak for me, and then you can tell me your opinion. Once I stepped away from it, I really felt like I took the blue pill and I was out of the matrix. Yes, That's really, how I felt. <laughs> yes, because you have a totally different view of the whole the whole deal. It's like, well, we were just working for that house. When the house is gone. We're not working for that anymore. It's like, was all that worth it to own that house? No. Yep, no. <laughs> no. I agree. Well, I really enjoyed being able to chat with you. I want people to be able to reach out to you and follow you and find you a bit. Uh, sure. People always have questions, especially, you know, someone that's done it for as long as you have and the transition with, you know, bringing a young kid who probably doesn't really have an opinion about it, but now as a teenager, has an opinion about it. I think all those things are interesting. Definitely. So where can uh, where can people find you? Remember, folks, I'll link it all down below. You don't have to try to write it down. So just go into the notes, click you know, click the link, and if you're you know got to this through Facebook or Instagram, it'll be there too. Okay, wonderful. So we have a website which is our blog, and it is the 
adventuredetour.com. And that's where we put travel destinations, um, RVing tips, and then there's a whole section on full-time RVing. And we get kind of real and raw on the full-time RVing part. So anything you could look for to find out how the lifestyle really is from budget to insurance to when things go wrong is there. Um, So that's our blog, our website. And then we are on social media, primarily on Instagram, and it's at the Adventure Detour. And then we're also on the same handle on TikTok, uh, YouTube, and Facebook. Nice. Awesome. Well, folks, I'll link those down below. Vanessa, thank you so much for coming on the show and hanging out and talking oh, to me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. I really, really enjoyed it. Another great episode. Big thank you to Vanessa for coming on the show and sharing her story. You can connect with her by clicking any of the links in the show notes. Don't forget to grab your copies of Rootless Living or RV Today. Go to rootlessliving.com or rvtoday.com. And please share this podcast with your family and friends. It only takes a second, and it's a big help in growing the podcast. Until the next episode, stay rootless.